Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. I'm Scott Ray, your host, Dean of Faculty, Professor of Christian Ethics at Talbot School of Theology here at Biola University. We're here with a very, very special guest, Los Angeles Dodgers manager, Dave Roberts. Uh, we're at spring training in Arizona. Dave, thanks so much for being with us after the afternoon game this afternoon. We're also joined by my colleague, uh, Brandon Cash, who's been a longtime chaplain for the for the Dodgers organization. So, Dave, thank you very much for taking time to be with us and to answer a few questions for no, us. No, absolutely, Scott. It, it's a pleasure to uh, sit down and, and talk about my faith and, and baseball as well. well. I have to tell you, before we get into some of those questions, the president of Biola University, Barry Corey, uh, is a diehard Boston Red Sox fan, and he said, if you get a chance to sit down with Dave Roberts, you have to ask him about the most famous stolen base in Red, <laughs> in Red Sox history. So tell our listeners a bit, what, what's he talking about? On that? Well, um, it's one of those things where um, you got the Red Sox and the Yankees and just such history and just a, a bitter rival rivalry. And so I take you back to 2004, um, the Red Sox, which team I was on, we were down 3-0 to the Red Sox or to the Yankees. And Mariano Rivera, probably the best closer in in history, is on the mound. And I get summoned out to pinch run and lead off uh, walk by Kevin Millar. So I get out there and hadn't played in probably eight days. Haven't hasn't haven't seen the wow. field. And so up into those eight days, it was a lot of preparation, uh, video work, and just preparing for one moment. And that was my moment right there. And so you, you rewind about three years prior in my work with Maury Wills, a great mentor of mine when I was with the Dodgers and gearing me for one moment that everyone in the ballpark knows you're going to steal a base and you can't be afraid to steal that base. So um, so as I took the field, Maury Wills was in the forefront of my mind. And I really do believe the game honors you and how you prepare and you play and you're a good teammate. And at that moment, um, that was my moment. And so fortunately I was safe and uh, I scored the tying run. We ended up uh, winning that game in extra innings and we reeled off eight straight wins, did what did away with the Yankees and then swept the uh, Cardinals. So that was a first World Series championship in 86 years. So for me to be a part of that, it was something special. So I apologize to your uh, good friend. <laughs> Wait, no. I want to ask something because you were with the Dodgers that season. I was. And so I don't think a lot of people realize how hard that is on families to be with one team and then to get traded. I mean, what was that it like? Was, it was tough. And I already had one son at that time. So he was four years old. And then my wife was uh, eight months eight or eight months pregnant, I think, at that point in time. And so you're kind of uprooting everything to move from L.A. where you were happy and you were in first place. And I was, I'm a Southern California guy to then be transported to Boston. And it's a whole different deal. Um, so the baseball part of it, the family, and also we just had to, I mean, to be quite honest, our faith and just knowing that God had better things for us. So um, it was something that it worked out great. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have changed a thing though. <laughs> is, is it true that you've never paid for a meal at a Boston restaurant since then? Uh, well, I, I have paid for a couple meals, but I haven't uh, bought any beers. So when I go into a bar, <laughs> those people are very uh, in tune with what had happened. Now you've, you've made the transition. You obviously had a successful career as a player. You've made the transition now from to coaching out to managing and obviously been very successful at that level too. What was that transition like going from, be on the player's side of the house to coaching and managing? You know, I, I just really, it, it's been a, it's been a fun journey and I, I definitely wasn't my ultimate plan once I retired. 
uh, I was contemplating just retiring and just spending time with my wife and kids. Um, had an opportunity to do uh, some TV, some broadcasting, uh, some radio stuff. Uh, took that, and that was a fun opportunity with the Red Sox. And then I got diagnosed with cancer uh, in 2010. And so as I was going through that, I was working for the Padres as a special assistant. So I was kind of got one foot in the in my dipping my feet in a little bit in baseball. And then just an opportunity to coach, to be a major league coach. And that's kind of where I kind of was jumping in with both feet. So recovered from the uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, then became a major league coach. And then at that point in time, I knew that I wanted to be in baseball, you know, for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you mentioned your family. Tell, tell our listeners a little bit about your family. Uh, and I, what I think they'd be particularly interested in is how you've dealt with the challenges of being in baseball for the long term. Uh, what what challenges that's had for your family life? It's interesting. Well, my wife and I have been together since we were 15 years old. So she's been there from the 315 high school baseball games to um, playing in Jamestown, New York as a minor league A-ball wow. player, you know, in college as well before that. So um, we got married in 1997. So she's used to the grind and understands, you know, and the sacrifices that she's made for me personally, um, for our family. And uh, my kids, they know nothing else but the seven and a half, eight months of baseball season. And we get to spend essentially every waking moment together in the off season. Um, but it doesn't make it any easier when I, when I have to say goodbye and start spring training. Um, but my son, fortunately for him, he gets to be around more because he's a baseball player and he's a boy. My daughter, to be quite honest, gets the short end of the stick. So um, I really try to make it a point to, uh, you know, make her feel special. And she's 14 right now. And they're both uh, amazing kids. They both love Jesus. Uh, my son is a senior at Santa Fe Christian in San Diego. My daughter is a freshman there. Son's going to go play baseball at Loyola Marymount. So um, we're, we're, we're a tight-knit group. Yeah. We're a tight-knit group. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've been pretty intentional about making sure that what what baseball could do to derail family life has not done with your family. No, and and I think that it can, and a lot of people that I've been around, it has derailed families and, and marriages. But when you kind of work as one unit, and, and that's something for me personally that you're, you're really trying to, with the faith component in the center of my life, my family's life, and then being a husband, a father, a, a coach, a manager, and trying to be that same person wherever I go. And keep that center wherever I go. Um, but yeah, my family travels with me at times and when we can. Um, now as they get older, it's a little bit harder. But it, it's a constant. you got to be definitely uh, um, purposeful in how you do things. Um, work with a purpose and really just really be clear with your family. Were you guys intentional about Santa Fe Christian and sending Cole and M there? We were. We were. Um, you know, where you're going to plant your kids for, for grade school is, is a big decision as any parent knows. And so we just felt that our faith is number one in our lives. And then when we took a tour of the campus and it's a K through 12 school. And when you look at the finished product of some of these kids, some upper school kids, and my wife and I just looked at each other and said, man, if our kids can grow up and that's the finished product, then we're doing something right. So to be around a Christian uh, family, as far as schooling and, and that community our kids have thrived, and so I'm not saying there haven't been trials and obstacles like any school or any you know upbringing, but it, it's uh, our kids are, are 
you know, have Jesus at the heart, at the center of their lives too. So that's a huge win for all of us. So tell, Dave, tell our listeners a little bit about your own spiritual journey, how you came to your faith in Christ. Man, uh, Scott, it's, it's been a long journey. And, and I think that, um, in 1996, I was saved, and um, baseball sports up until that point was my God. And to be quite honest, I just felt that being a good person was sufficient, and um, I was a good person, um, but I wasn't. Uh, I hadn't given my heart to Christ, and so as I, the people that I sort of gravitated to in baseball, there was something different about them, and you know, it turns out that they were all believers. And so um, Satan was kind of fighting me and trying not to let me go down that path and telling me that I didn't need that. And I was going to give up a whole lot if I gave my life to Christ. And so um, ultimately, um, I gave my, my heart and soul to Christ. And um, then I went through the period of, man, I'm on fire and, and everything is going to be perfect. All those demons that I had and trials were going to be gone. And I quickly learned that wasn't the case. And so uh, my wife is a believer as well. And so she was very kind of uh, helpful to me and supportive. Um, she, she had come to faith before, that's before, right, before you had. Before I did. And the thing is, though, is that that's the thing is that, you know, you think that things are going to be perfect and there aren't going to be obstacles. And I quickly learned that that's not the case. And so it's been it's been rocky. It hasn't been perfect you know, the way I the way I've lived as far as temptations, things that um, priorities get away and I don't keep God at my center. I didn't keep God at my center and it's a growth period. And I will say that it's taken me a long time to really accept the fact that there's no perfect Christians and everyone has their own individual walk. And as long as we're getting closer to God every single day, you know, that's what we strive for. And not to say there's not going to be setbacks, it's not going to be easy, but the more I've learned to, um, surround myself with the right people. And I do devotionals every day with my pastor and, and he's a, one of my best friends. And, um, for the last few months, my wife and I've been do, doing devotionals every day and incorporating my son as well. So just to take that time and be intentional with my time with God and my wife, it's really helped me stay the course, but do I got to put, uh, up, uh, fence guards or safeguards around my life? Absolutely. So let me follow up on that just a little bit. Um, how would you say your faith has has made a difference in your role as a coach and, a, and now a manager? Well, it's as a baseball fan, which I am, uh, as a former player, as a coach, where every game means something and it impacts people. Uh, um, so my faith plays into this because – I work as hard as I can work. I prepare as well as I can prepare. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel that if I live my life and prepare the way and compete the way that uh, Christ wants me to compete, I'll live with any result. So, and I don't take it lightly in the sense that I don't care as much as the next person because I do. But I do feel that um, I'm here for a greater purpose and I do have a platform to share my faith um, and to uh, make the men around me um, better people and see Christ in me. And if their time comes that they get to know the Lord, great. Um, I do have a job to do. 
Um, and that's, I work for the Dodgers, but I think that it gives me a, a really good piece where I have anxiety or stress, frustration, and I put it on God. I really do. And, um, that ability helps me survive in, in a season where there's so much noise outside and scrutiny each day. So I just don't know how people under this kind of scrutiny and this pressure would survive without their faith. So what, what were you, you mentioned a little earlier, uh, some particular challenges that you've had to your faith that have come you know, over the years as you've been a player and now a manager. Could you tell us a little more about that? What are what are some of the things, some of the challenges that you face? Well, some of the challenges are, you know, when you're when you're struggling, uh, when you're out playing, and you're not respecting your wife, or just not being the, the godly man that you should because of the pressure getting to you, um, the grind of of a major league baseball season, um, going out to a bar where you, you put yourself in harm's way, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. And you surround yourself with teammates or people in the game that really there's not a whole lot of good that's going to come from it. And so you, you have to you live and learn. And I've made mistakes like we all have. But as I've grown in my faith and just it's always kind of and my wife, again, my wife, Trisha, has been by my side through everything. And. It's, it's funny. It's something that I learned about six months ago at this men's retreat. Pastor Keith Jenkins, a good buddy of mine, he just said, um, I just want to share something with you. What got you here won't get you there. And it's just interesting because as a player early in my faith and my walk and, and whereas it wasn't as consistent uh, as it should have been or could have been, um, I was very stubborn. I was very egocentric. Um, I, I, I wasn't a good listener. I was, uh, not consistent with my, with my time in the word. And so now to be a leader of men, to be the father that I want to be, to be the husband I want to be, um, to be the, the Christian, the man of God, I want to be and the leader of my household, all these things that I haven't done that I was surviving to, to make a life for my family in the way that I thought that you know, I had to perform on the field. And, and at times I didn't put my faith in at the center of my life. It was, again, it was baseball. Um, but then now as I've grown as a man in my faith and not being intimidated by people who know the Bible more than I do, it just, I continue to get in the word and learn more. But all those things that I thought got me to this point, and now I've learned that I've got to do things a different way to get me to the finish line. So I, I suspect one of the impacts that your faith has had as, as in your role as a leader in the clubhouse here is the kind of culture that you're trying to create here. What, what, is, what, what kind of culture are you trying to create in the Dodger organization, and how has your faith impacted that? Well, my faith um, has impacted the, the clubhouse because I live my life a certain way. Um, there's no question that... Um, I'm a believer. Um, I can quite honestly say I, I, I live that the way I should, and, and I'm bold about that. But I am respectful of the profession and, and the job that guys have to do. So there's there's a couple layers. Number one, people knowing who I am inside and out, and I'm consistent with that. Um, and being open to listening and 
leading and, and trying to do things the right way. And I think that people see Christ through me. And that's sort of what we want to create in the clubhouse. And, the, you know, the, and then you're talking about things of like the gritty, the compete, the, the preparedness, the work ethic, all those things that you layer in um, that make you a, a successful ball club. Now, I've noticed a theme here. You talked about when you're a player and surrounding yourself with the right guys and then in personal life surrounding yourself with the yeah. right guys. And what I've noticed in, is this your fourth year? Four, fourth Four year. years together. You're doing the same thing team-wide. Right. Getting the right guys around you that think are going to help foster that culture sure. that you want around here, whether that's the grittiness and the compete uh, or even the character, I right. think, of the guys around here. And that's been one of the big noticeable changes to me is the change in culture yeah. over these years. But you can't make that change on day one. You can't. And so how, how is kind of the wisdom of changing that culture over the course of, you know? Yeah, it's interesting, um, Brandon. Well, as, as I've been here, this is my fourth year. And there's been some turnover. And things do take time. And uh, so you do want people of character and that have the same beliefs, uh, the same thoughts and goals that, that I have and the organization has. Uh, I do believe that the people that, that have been here for my tenure are on board and we're thinking alike, our thoughts are aligned. And so it just makes the quality of life easier when there's people that you can bet on and you wanna, you wanna go to work with every single day. and. And Scott, we spend eight and a half months together and and get, call it a dozen days off in those eight and a half months. So we're spending more times with each other than our families. And so people that you like, you trust, you can count on, that's important. Um, but as a coach, that role sometimes, I have to take the mind that as long as they're, at, they're ours and they play for the Dodgers, we've got to make them as good as we possibly can and love on them as much as we possibly can. Because my job directly is not to kind of bring in and, and create a roster. So the players that are given to me and the coaches, our job is to, to you know, teach them. Yeah. Now, this is just a leadership principle. I think there's a character issue here too, but you are awesome with names. Like I remember, so I had Dave in Chapel when he was with the coach with the Padres, and then he gets picked up by the Dodgers, you know, to be our manager. And it wasn't just remembering my name, but I mean, it's uncanny how, how much you remember names and call people by names. And I know that's intentional. What's kind of behind that? I, I think I, thank you. And, and I wasn't always good at that. And I just felt that, I, you know, when somebody knows your name, and I can go to a restaurant and my kids give me a hard time about it all the time because I'll make a point to look at the name tag and call the server by their name. Because I just think that, you know, when you can address someone by their name, it just makes them feel special and, uh, and important. And I know I appreciate when people remember my name. And I think that when you're a leader and you're around a lot of people who are looking for your attention, then if you can kind of know who they are and say them by name, I think it just, you can, it opens up the dialogue and that trust a little bit more. And so there are definitely a lot of names for me to remember and I'm not perfect, but I do try to make a point to, to remember people's names. And I think it goes a long way. Yeah. That sounds like it's a pretty significant part of that kind of culture that you're talking yeah. about. And um, I think it's just reflective of an others centered attitude. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, 
if you have an ego and that's driving things, you're not going to remember people's names. That's right. That's right. And, and I think that's a, that's a great point because, you know, there's no bigger servant that walked the earth than Jesus Christ. And, and I kind of patterned my life in the sense or my leadership in the sense of being a servant leader. And so when you can be the manager of the Dodgers and you can clear off plates for your players and your staff, um, you can clear off plates for your staff and do things like that and serve your coaches and players. And I think that that goes a long way. And then it kind of trickles down where everyone else is incentivized to uh, serve others. And when you get a, a bunch of people that are talented, uh, set, same mind of, of winning and are servers, man, you've got something pretty special. Yeah. Well, a couple more questions, if we might. Uh, tell me for this year's Dodger team, what are you, what makes you optimistic that you've got a shot at returning to the World Series? Uh, that's the, the, the that's a good question. I, I uh, obviously I no one knows, and that's why every season is different. But I believe in the talent. I believe in the organization as far as we're all synced up. We're all on the same page, and I trust the process and how we go about things. That in the end will be the last team standing. And I can say that we, I felt the same way the last two years. And unfortunately, we were the second to last team standing. Um, but I'm just really convicted that those guys in that room, the coaches, the training staff, the entire organization, the front office, that um, we're going to bring a championship back to Los Angeles. Well, it does, I mean, from, from the way you answered that, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't sound like that it took all that much to get over coming so close the last two years and moving on to this season. Is that, is that true? Um, it's definitely never easy. Um, obviously, it's never easy to lose in the World Series. In 17, it was really tough. Uh, we were pushed the, the Astros to Game 7 and to lose at home in Game 7. Um, there was no doubt in my mind we weren't going to win that game. And so to come off and lose that one, that was tough. That took a long time. And I might still, that one still hurts. Um, but 18, I, I just felt that the uh, the, Astro, or the Red Sox were playing better. They were a better team. And we just didn't play our best baseball. Um, and, and again, when you lose in the World Series, regardless if it's seven games or four games, it's a tough pill to swallow. But... With baseball, you got to kind of get back up, dust yourself off, and and do it again. And that's why this game, as much as people love this game, not everyone can do it because it takes a certain level of grit and tenacity and perseverance uh, to keep going. Yeah, I can see, especially through the rigors of you know a very, a very long season uh, with its ups and downs and hurdles that you got to get over, um, and then to get to get that close. Uh, I can see where that that's that's a tough one to get by. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell, I, well, yeah. just real quick, I don't think the average person realizes you've used this word a couple of times, but the grind yeah. of a baseball game, a baseball season. I mean, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. How do you maintain the positivity in the midst of that grind? Uh, well, for me, it's actually pretty easy because that's where the gratitude component comes in. Mm -hmm. And I just feel blessed and honored every day that I get to call this work and people that don't know me that see me uh, briefly just don't know how I can sustain it or if it's real 
my positivity, but I definitely am relentlessly positive. My coaches are the same way. And we're all very grateful of what we have. And so for us to impress that upon our players is very important because baseball is a grind because there's 162 games. We play a, a six-week spring training, very few off days, and not just the three-hour game. There's a lot of preparation work that goes into it to prepare for those three hours. So um, before the game, after the game, and um, travel and all that stuff that, that goes with it, that Brandon travels with us at times and understands it. So, um, But it's, again, it's something that I love to do, and, and I like to exude that every single day I walk to this ballpark. One final question. Uh, how can our listeners pray for you d- during this upcoming season? Uh, thank you. Thank you, Scott. Um, I, I would really love it if if our listeners uh, could pray for um, me to continue to keep Jesus Christ at the center of my life, um, pray for boldness, pray for opportunities to, to share my faith, and... Um, remain steadfast. Well, this has been really rich. Dave, thank you so much for joining us, taking a few minutes. I know spring training is a very busy time for you, and there's lots of, uh, lots of other things going on off the field as well as on the field. So we're very grateful for you taking time with us, and uh, we look forward to seeing uh, what comes of this season and wish all the best to you and to the Dodgers for this upcoming season. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Thanks. for having me. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. To learn more about us and today's guest, Los Angeles Dodgers manager Dave Roberts, and to find more episodes, go to biola.edu forward slash think biblically. That's biola.edu forward slash think biblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening, and remember, think biblically about everything.